All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Sheets. For those of you that don't know me, I am the college intern. And what that means is I basically do whatever they tell me to do. I go get coffee. I go do the, the it, I don't know. It, every now and then I preach because they don't want to anymore. It's just go, I'm a go fetch kind of guy. Um, tonight we are going to be talking about, so, so last week we talked about the letter kills and the spirit gives life. And Morgan and Drew told us how that you need the spirit of God to enter into the family of God. Um, and then we were given some really good warnings and encouragements about like if we're in unrepentant sin and what we should do about that. Today is picking up right where that left off. But before we get into that, I just want to share with you uh, a conviction of mine, um, a conviction of a lot of ours, is that what we're talking about today is the Word of God. And uh, why I'm saying this is I'm in a philosophy class and it's awesome. This, without this, we, we don't know what's right and wrong. We don't know who God is, we don't know what to do, like, we have nothing without this, but this word is a light to our feet, and it is a lamp, I think it's a lamp to our path, something like that. Um, but I was, I was reading the other day, I was reading in Deuteronomy 30, 32, and these words just really stuck out to me. So Moses is talking to the people of God, and he t- gives them the law, and he, about to, he's sending them in, uh, the promised land, and he says these words that just really, just really hit me. Take to heart these words. Teach them to your children. They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. And that's, Moses just had like the first five, this, all, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Then like, he was living in Deuteronomy. He said, take to heart these words because they are your life and death. And that just really hit me. So uh, when we get into this, these words are more than just empty words. They're more than just something that old people wrote one time. They are your life. So with that being said, let me pray and we'll begin. Dearly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the chance to get up and speak about you, God, speak about your glory. Um, thank you for your, your family here that you've given me. Um, I pray, God, that, that whatever is said and whatever is not said tonight, God, I pray that you would speak. Because whatever we say doesn't matter. But whatever you say, Lord, is is what brings fruit. It's what heals. It's what cuts down where we should be cut down, God. And we just ask that that you would speak and that we would hear you. I pray that you give us the ability to hear. And I pray that, God, that you would be glorified. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read through this text. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 4, 6. I'm going to read through it once and then I'll have another guy read it. Um, so here's our text. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not this ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. 
Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 4. Therefore we have this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how the table normally works, if anyone's new, is I, the first person will get up and they'll talk about background stuff, stuff that you might not know about from an initial reading or just things that's being referenced. The second person gets up and they talk about um, what we then should go do from this text. And my job, I'm first tonight, is uh, pretty easy. This passage of scripture is uh, it's an interesting passage. Uh, I think there's a Greek word for this. I think it's, uh, I don't want to mispronounce this. Layup, meaning that if, yeah, layup, it's okay, cheesy joke, shake it out, okay, um, meaning that like if, if something, if we don't come away from this with something, then I have royally messed up. This passage is awesome, it talks about the veil, it talks about glory, there's a lot of confusing stuff, and ends in saying that light shines into our hearts, like God said, let light shine out of darkness. So, to understand what's going on here, we've got to go back into the Old Testament. For those of you, I'm, it's, we're going to be Exodus 32 through 35, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to be telling you about it, it's a lot of stuff, um, so let's buckle up, okay? Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he gave them circumcision. He says, you're going to be my people, you have circumcision, that shows that, that you are my people, and I, through you I'm going to bless the nations. They go into Egypt as slaves for 400 years, which is an incredibly long time. God leads them out of Egypt through Moses with many crazy things that happens, the ten plagues, and Moses leads the people to Sinai. Now on Sinai, God shows up on the mountain to meet with the people and to give them the law. And it says like, it says the mountain was on fire with the glory of God. And so we, Paul says glory like 14 times in this text. And glory is one of those things that like, I, when someone says glory, I'm not really sure what they're talking about. It's like, it's kind of like a vague thing. I think of like lights or I don't know, just awesome, just holy, just other the glory of God showed up on a mountain and it was on fire. So when Paul is referencing glory, this is kind of what we are thinking about. Um, so, okay, so Moses shows up on the mountain and Moses goes up, people of God stay down, and he goes and meets and God gives the Ten Commandments, the law, gives the law to the people. And I just want to stop and note that I've always been confused at this. Is like, it's like, 
gets in the New Testament, it's like the people of like, do we follow? Do we have faith in Jesus? Like, are we people of God because we follow the law? I'm not really sure. Um, even in the Old Testament, the law was given after the people of God. Like, God chose His people, and then the law was given. He said, "This is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to be holy, because this was be holy priesthood." So Moses gives him. It's okay. God gives him the law. And then Moses goes back down, and the people he sees the people worshiping a calf, a, gold, a golden calf that they made. And I've always been confused at this point, because Aaron, who was the, the high priest or the priest at the time, he like he went through everything that Moses and them went through. He he, he saw the plagues, he saw the mountain on fire, and it's like Moses turns his back for like like two seconds, and they're like worshiping a calf, and I'm just like, dude, like. What happened? Like, you saw that. You saw the mountain on fire, and then you made an idol. I don't get it. When reading the background information on this text, actually, I think it's chapter 32, it says that it's not just they thought that they, were, they just made a random idol. They, just, they didn't just, like, this is, like, I don't know. They just wanted something to see. No, they, they made the idol, and they called it Yahweh. And so the people were saying, like, we want, like, we see that this God is our God, but we want to come to Him on our terms. We want to establish what it means to follow. And so what they thought they were doing being pious, what they thought is, like, I'm going to come to God on however I want to come to God, ended up being an incredible sin against God. And God is angry at these people because they're attributing His works to something that's not Him. And He is, like... He threatens that I don't want to. I'm not going to go with these people. If I go with them, I'm probably going to end up killing them. And Moses, this is so cool. Moses stands before God in a foreshadowing of Christ and said, "Like between, he stands before God and a sinful people, a rightfully sinful people, that deserve whatever punishments God's going to give him." And he says, "God, do not destroy these people." Not because these people are so good. Not because they're awesome and they just, they just messed up once. No. He said, God, save these people. Like, don't destroy them for your name. Don't destroy them because if, if you destroy them, people are going to see what you've done and they're going to think that you're not the real God. And so God relents. And there's where we get into the stuff that's going to start dealing with our text tonight. Moses then asks a crazy question of God. After he gets a new law, he's on the mountain with God, and he says, Now show me your glory. And God, I mean, I don't know how he said it. I don't know if it's like, Now show me your glory, or like, Now show me your glory, I don't know. Um, but, now yeah, they didn't mean to throw an accent in there. Hey, show me your glory. No. Um, but, he says, Show me your glory, and God amazingly says yes. Yes, I will show you my glory, but you can see you see me, but you can't see my face. Because if you see my face, you will die. Write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Okay. No man may see the face of God and live. We can't handle it. He's like the mountain is on fire with the glory of God. For some reason, seeing his face would kill us. So, and I'm indebted to 
my brother Eric uh, for this quote. Moses got to see, get a glimpse of God's glorious backside. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know. But that's in it. You can have that vivid imagery. So Moses then receives the new stone tablets. And he goes back down to the people. But what he doesn't know is that through, seeing, through being in the pre- presence of God's glory, he's changed. It's no longer like just him. He, he hasn't noticed that he is now glowing too. He, like, being in God's glory has changed him. And so you think this is cool. You think this would be like, oh, if I saw, like, like I swear one of these days Scott's going to come in here and his face is just going to be radiating with glory because his, level, his walk with Christ is like so much up here. You're like, oh, that'd be so cool. But for the people, it wasn't. Because they had sin in their lives. They, they had a broken relationship with God. And so for them, the glory of God was not a good thing. It was a very bad thing. Sinful man cannot be around the glory of God without being destroyed. And God in such presence, even through Moses, terrified them. So Moses has this, so we reference the veil. Moses then goes and puts a veil between him. He, he, he puts a veil on when he talks to the people. And when he's in the presence of God, he takes the veil off. So with, that, with all that background information, let's go back into our text today. And Jared, could I have you read for me? Now to the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? All right, stop. We're going to go back and forth, okay? So, in comparing the new to the old, or the, the old to the new, um, Paul says, the first thing he says about it is that the, the old, remember last week, the letter is death, the ministry of death, carved on letter stone, came with glory. So, first things we notice about this is that the old is the letter, and it is death. For the people. And, like we just said, it's glorious. It came with such glory that the mountain was on fire and a guy just being in the presence of it glowed with glory. We, we talk about the law being a bad thing, but here's how it started. It started with the glory of God. It was glorious. Okay. Let's go nine. Just go verse nine. For this is why I wrote that I might test. Oh wait, sorry, that's the wrong verse. Verse nine. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> For if there is glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must must far exceed it in glory. Okay. The new. I forgot to say this. The new is the spirit and life. Is in the verse. Verse seven. Verse eight. So 9, it says that if the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it. So we have the old brought condemnation. And that's also pretty interesting because we think, like I hear the word condemnation and I think that's a really, that's not a good, that's not a good word. I don't want to be condemned. And the old, the new, has righteousness. But I want to pause there. 
Think about that for a second. Is condemnation such a bad thing? Like, I mean, I, I obviously I don't want it, but when it comes to knowing that I need Jesus, if I have all the all that Jesus has, but I don't actually like if I if I'm good, if I don't really like don't really think I'm sinful, don't really think I'm broken, then would I turn to Jesus? If the law wasn't there to condemn me, to show me how much I don't measure up to God's standards, then I don't really think I'd need I don't really think I need a savior. Romans seven puts it like this. So Romans seven is the do do chapter. Like I I don't do what I do, or I I can't do what I, I you know you know what it is. Okay, Romans seven. If you need to look it up later. Romans seven ends with this, saying that when it comes to the law, he can't do it. Like I can't follow it. I try, but I just can't. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from death? And then he goes on to say in Romans eight. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So condemnation, which is such a negative word that like we don't, I don't want neg- con- like I don't want condemnation, is actually beneficial. The law is glorious; it is beneficial for us to be condemned, which is strange to say. Okay, verse ten, ten through twelve. Ten, no, ten to twelve. Ten to twelve. Yep. So not twelve. Not twelve. Stay, stay away from twelve. Indeed, in this case. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. That's kind of crazy to think about. So, okay, close your eyes and do your best to picture a mountain on fire. I don't, I mean, I can't really, I just think the mountain and maybe some smoke. That is what the old came with. That is the glory it had. But Paul is saying that the new is so much more that it makes it seem like the old never really had glory. Mm. What we have in Jesus is so much more. What's an example of this that I could give you guys? Okay, how about this? I'm a pretty... Hey, we have the light. I'm a pretty glorious guy, I think. You know what I mean? I, I'm funny. I think I look good. I'm kind of sweaty right now because I'm nervous. But, I mean, I think all in all, I, I, got, I'm, I got a lot going for me. And you, you'll be like, okay, I see what you're saying. I see he's got, he's got a little bit of, a little, maybe a little bit, a little bit of glory. I see some head shaking. That's not, yes, okay. Okay. But then, so you know me. And you see my glory, glory, okay? And Eric walks in. And you say, whoa, this man is better than you in every way. What we thought you had, what, whatever goodness we thought you have, now has become nothing in comparison to your brother. Well, you're laughing, but this is my life. I'm used to this. So, the glory of Alec has been brought to nothing because Eric's glory is so much more than his. That's also, I mean, just also why I hang out with people like, like Drew. So, it boosts my, boost my reps a little bit. Drew and Bo, my best friends. 
helps me be more glorious. I don't hang out with Eric. And also in this text, so he says it's more glorious, and the old is temporary, but the new is permanent. At this point, I want to note that God, God's intention throughout the whole entire scripture has always been to dwell with His people. And not just dwell with His people, He wants the nations to see God dwelling with His people. He said, they're going to see you, they're going to see how much I bless you, and they're going to see me inside of you, and they're going to turn to me. They're going to, I'm, you're, I'm going to bring the nations to you, I'm going to bless the nations through you. The sole fact that there was a veil is, is wrong. Like God didn't want that set up. He didn't want the veil to be there. He wanted to, be, he wanted to transform His people. And so it's temporary. But the new in Jesus is permanent. Alright, let's go verses 12 through 215. 12 to 15. 12 to 15, yeah. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to him. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Okay, so like we mentioned earlier, Moses put the veil on. And later it compares the, the veil to being hardness of heart. So the people that couldn't see God, they couldn't be around the glory of God, that turned... Paul is saying that that veil is still there. That veil doesn't allow them to see, and they can't see God, so they can't come to Him. Go ahead and read the next 15 through 15 to 18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Paul is saying that this situation, this temporary situation, that in Christ the veil is removed and there is an open relationship with God. And for those of you that know the gospel, when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And that's symbolizing that this relationship that had that had to have like there had to be God behind the veil and man right here, else you would die, isn't anymore, because through Jesus we have open and continuous relationship to God, which is crazy to think about, because in Hebrews he says that we can now approach the throne with confidence. So like I see God on His throne, I see Him reigning over everything. And God tells me that through Jesus, I can approach Him. Not just, not just approach, but I can do it confidently. Because I have the righteousness of Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, and where Jesus is, there is no more veil. Alright, let's go verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, this is pretty cool. So this tells us what the end result of the the ministries were. So the old, the old ministry, like we said, was 
that God would dwell with sinners. And that it can only be done through the veil so they wouldn't perish. The new is that sinners are being transformed into Christ-likeness. That it's not just it's not just God in the midst of them. It's now God in them that changes them to where they can come. They can approach the throne because of Jesus. So, one of the questions I like to ask people, just in being in Christian circles, is I like to ask, if you could go back and you could see one thing in the Old Testament or just in the Bible, what would you choose? Like, if you could go back and just see one of the events that we hear. Um, a lot of times, I think a lot of people in this room would probably say, like, Elijah on Mount Carmel. I want to see fire fall from heaven and destroy a bull in front of all these dancing prophets. I know there's some people in this room that would say something like, I want to see Elisha and the she-bears. If you don't know what that is, look it up. I don't want to get into that. My go-to is always Lazarus. If I could go see something, I want to see Lazarus. Because if I see the dead being raised, then that's it. You got me. There's nothing else I really need to see. I wonder if we ask Paul this question, what he would say. If we ask Paul, like, hey, what would you go to? Where, where, where would you go see? I think, in light of this text, he would say something along the lines of, well, to me, he'd say, you fool. <laughs> I would live right now. I wouldn't go back then. I wouldn't see anything. I would live right now. Not because this isn't cool, not because it wasn't glorious, but because you don't know what you have in the new covenant. You don't know what you have in Jesus. The veil isn't there anymore. You are being transformed in the Christ-likeness if you have Jesus. I think that is very... I mean, I still want to see dead being raised, but I think think that's what Paul would say. So we go into chapter 4, and I'll paraphrase this part. Paul goes and says that because of all this, because of... uh, all we have right here, we renounce disgraceful ways, underhanded ways, refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but with the open statement, we present ourselves to everyone. And that's kind of Paul saying, like, like because of all of this, we don't, I don't need to change. I don't need to shift anything. I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I picture, I picture like a, a magician, you know how like you see a lady get sawn in half, and you're like, oh, that's so cool. But if you, if you could just see behind the scenes, you'd be like, okay, that's really lame. <laughs> like, I paid money. It was kind of cool, but it was really just an illusion. Paul is saying, like, like no, I, I open the veil. I, I, I see, you can see behind the curtains. There's nothing here. There's no, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And that's something as believers that, that we should do. I'm not trying to change anything. I'm just trying to show you the truth. I'm just trying to rest in what I know to be true. All right, Jared, read for me 3 through 3, 2, 5. All right. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so this, 
is initially a little hard to swallow for me. So it's saying that those people that are dying that don't know God, and only through God can they change. Like it says, the God of this world, which is Satan in different translations. So, so Satan is there's spiritual warfare in this too. It's not just that you can't see. It's like no, those that don't have Jesus are perishing. They can't see. There's no. There's nothing they can do to change it. And while it's initially hard to swallow, I think it's better to think these things that it's like. We are all dead. Like, without Christ, we are all dead. And if God steps in to save us, then we change. It's not like God's just up there, like, I'm, I mean, I, I can't speak what God is or isn't doing, but I don't think it's like, God's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some, and I'm going to let others die. I mean, He might be. But it's like, no, we're all dying. And unless Jesus steps in, there's no hope. It's not like I'm I'm good. I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Alec as mine. It's like we're all dying, and without the the ability to turn, we can't. So any kind of movement down to us, any kind of a lot, the removal of the veil is God's blessing. It's not judgment. It's blessing because we're all dying. All right. So finish this out. Five through the end. Five through five through six. Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a really cool text. So I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to see miracles. I've always wanted to see, uh, I don't know, I'm too young, but water to wine, maybe. Um, I remember a recent one. I was I be I was sitting in a rainstorm, and I was like, God, I know that you can control this storm. Just let me see a lightning bolt, like right there. That'd be so cool. I just I want to see it. And you read a lot of miracles happening in the New Testament or in the Old Testament too. And I just think, okay, where is that? Why can't I see that? Like, is it, is it changed? And I don't think I don't think anything's changed. I don't I don't know. But this text, verse specifically verse six, Paul uses language of a new creation. Paul says, Let light shine out of darkness, referencing Genesis one. So this really struck me. What better question, now what better miracle could I ask to see than the dead to life? If you're in Christ and you really want to see a miracle, you don't need to go out and look. You don't need to go and search and see, trying to see that these crazy things happening. You really just need to look in a mirror. Because Alec was dead. I can tell you from firsthand, Alec could not follow God. There was nothing in me that, that was righteous. There was nothing in me that was good. I was helpless and I was hopeless. But in Christ... God has made a new creation. God has shown light into darkness, just like He did in Genesis 1. But that's not the coolest part of this text. If you notice the last part, what would have killed Moses, if he had seen, has become the one thing that we must see in order to live. The face of God in Jesus Christ. 
We must look on the face of God if we are to live with eyes of faith. So, there's probably a lot of questions from all this, questions as to what this looks like, what this new life is. Um, hope I didn't just make more than, more than answer, more than I answered. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and Scott's going to get up and talk about what this new life looks like. Take about a two or three minute break. Break. Talk about, to help introduce where, where I want to go um, tonight. And the first idea is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 10. 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Did you catch that? So what he's saying is uh, the salvation that we have in Christ, the prophets, those guys like Elijah and Moses and... uh, Isaiah and all of them, they looked forward with great longing to what we have in Christ. That's what it's saying. Like, they're jealous of us. Um, think about that. Like, like, what you have in Christ is, is something that these, these heroes of the faith that we read about longed for. Okay? Second idea is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I need to, I need to set this one up. Because uh, this, this is a really cool thing. This is a very... I'm, I'm thankful for this text in, in many ways. Uh, there, there's this... I did this... had to do this paper on the, the doctrine of sanctification, and there's this group called the Keswick Group. And they, they have this understanding about sin. I thought it was pretty helpful for me um, to understand, okay, I have sin in my life, but not all sin is the same. It's kind of different. And How do I understand that? And the way they understand it is, is sin, sin comes together and or comes out in, in a couple ways. One is active rebellion. So I know what that is. I like doing what I know I shouldn't do. Okay, So I can think back through junior high, elementary, all the way up, and think of times when I did what I know I shouldn't have done. Okay, Active rebellion. But they also describe this passive drift in sin. And, and those words aren't specifically used in Scripture, but I think the ideas are there. And specific, specifically on that one, um, this text comes to mind for me. This idea of passive drift. So here's 2 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 5. Okay, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So what Paul's saying is, these are virtues that you as a follower of Jesus should put on, that you should act out, that you should practice. And, and so these aren't things that we do to earn salvation. These are things that saved people do because they're saved, because they have Jesus in them. They, they live this way. He said, make every effort, okay? That's, that's strong words. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, notice what they'll do. So if you're growing in these things, notice what will happen. They'll keep you from being ineffective and, un- and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, 
it's, it's saying like if you're when you're grow when you're practicing the, these things, you'll grow in these things. And when you're growing and maturing in these things, your 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 relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus will be growing, and it, and it will be it will be protected from being ineffective or unfruitful or unproductive. But verse nine is the verse I'm thankful for, because what happens if you evaluate your life and you don't feel like you're growing in these things? This is what Peter says. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind and forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So here's the idea. First idea from the first text is that the prophets of old long to have what we have in Christ. This idea is that when you, when you um, feel yourself drifting passively or actively rebelling or when you, when you sense that you're not growing in the Lord, or you feel stagnant, or you feel like, okay, blah, I don't feel anything. I don't feel joy. I don't, it, you know, what once was exciting has lost its excitement. What Peter says to do is to remember what you have in Christ. Like, so the prophets are looking to us going, wow, you guys have, do you know what you have in Christ? And, and this text is reminding us when we forget that, to remember what we have in Christ. So that's, that's really what I want to do tonight, is just to remind all of you, those of you who've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to remind you of what you have in, in Jesus specifically and what you have in the Spirit. Because our text today says that the ministry of the Spirit brings life, brings righteousness. That's, that's what these things are. These are, these are. This is a righteous life, someone who, who lives these things that, that Peter talks about. So this ministry of the Spirit brings life, Righteousness brings freedom, brings transformation. Those are big words. Life, righteousness, freedom, and transformation. That's what we have in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And so, I don't know about you, I remember being in college, and I remember truly not just taking for granted what I had in Christ, not just taking for granted the fact that the God of the universe dwells in me, and I have His power, His pneuma, or His, yeah, His pneuma, His spirit, His um, dunamis power in me to live this life that He's called me to. So not, not only did I just take, not, uh, not only did I take that for granted, I, I oftentimes did not believe in what I had. I oftentimes did not act as though I had what I had. And I would say things like, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I can't do this. Like, no one struggles like I do. And I would just, just wallow in my sin. Instead of being reminded of who I am and what I have, I would, I would just, just kind of stay there and punish myself because I just felt bad. And, and, and there was a point in which God really had to get, grab a hold of my attention and just help me see the truth. Like, that's not, none of those things are true. And I need to be reminded. So, do you know what you have in Christ? Are you blind? Are you nearsighted? Have you forgotten? Because um, I want to I remind you of what you have in Christ by way of the Spirit living in you. And so I want to do that by tracing through the Old Testament, the Gospels, and then, and then the church to help us see there's a pattern, um, but I want, I want to just talk about how does the Spirit, uh, have you ever thought about this? What's the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament? 
Like we hear a lot about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and especially in the church, but what's the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? I'm really indebted to this group called the Bible Project, so I'm going to write them up here. They have incredible videos um, that are creative and um, informative. They also have a really good podcast, and I and I I uh, have have listened to their. They have these this three part series on um, on the Holy Spirit, and it's really good. And so I've gotten a taste of of what they do. They do a really really good job, and and so I want to sum up basically what what they've said about this the 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 Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, okay? So, in the first, the first thing we see the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament, well, actually, let me back up. The word, this word for spirit, is kind of an interesting word. It's the word ruach, okay? Say ruach. ruach. You have to, like, <laughs> clear your throat. Um, there's, I've seen three ways to, to, to spell it, so I'm just going to spell it however they spell it. I've seen it with a C-C-H, I've seen it with a W in there, but it's Ruach. This word, Ruach, means breath. So you think about breath, breathing. When you take a breath, there's life and vitality that comes, okay? The word also means, um, means wind. This, this invisible energy that, that animates things, that animates trees, brings trees to life at some level. And so... so they do a really good job of, of helping you think, put yourself in the mind of somebody who's witnessing these things and, and coming up with words to, to describe these things, right? So breath and wind and spirit become these words that are used to describe what's happening. Um, it's a really interesting idea. God's Ruach, this, this invisible divine presence and power that brings life and vitality and energy and that animates life um, is, is, is what we see from the very beginning. In fact, the first thing we see the Spirit of God doing is creating and sustaining all of life. Creating and sustaining all of life. So, Genesis, Job, and Psalms are verses that describe the Spirit of God, that God's Ruach. And so, the very how many of you um, know where the where the Spirit is first found? Like, where's the first verse? Where would you guess? Genesis what? Yep. Genesis 1, Genesis 1, verse 2, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 is, is this. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Um, another word is waste and wild. Darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was... Um, this, sorry, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You know that word hovering is used two other times in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, both times used to describe a bird hovering. Okay, that'll be important later. So, you have, you have darkness, and you have the Spirit kind of hovering. And so, right from the very beginning, um, the breath of God, the wind of God, the Spirit of God is there, um, to create and sustain and to bring life. And Job, so just to give you kind of a full picture, Job 33 t- says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens are made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. 
So that's, that's not only just describing me, but also all of creation, you, all, and, and, right, all of creation. The, 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 the Ruach of God bringing life and vitality, this, this, this energy that is creating and sustaining life. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is this, empowering people for certain tasks. That's a big one. This is where we see words like coming upon. Um, ideas like anointing. This is an interesting idea. I never really thought about this. But breath and wind are both airy kind of metaphors. Um, anointing, pouring out, filling up are all like liquid metaphors. And kind of interesting how those are used to describe what's happening. So th- this one has, there's commissioning um, people, there's appointing leaders, this sort of special empowerment. And this happens a few different ways. Jo- uh, Joseph in his dreams, right? He's been given insight um, to interpret dreams. The spirit comes on him. Um, this guy named Bezael, Bezalel, I don't know how to say his name, but he was given these special uh, gifts and abilities and knowledge and know-how to, to design and create the, the temple and, uh, or sorry, the tabernacle and the ark. And um, man, a lot was given to this one guy. Uh, you can read about it in Exodus 35, 36. Um, uh, another one, filling, this was a big one. This was probably the most popular one. Uh, filling leaders to, to bring order and justice. So like Moses, um, Balaam, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, all, all the, the people in, in Judges. And these aren't like good people. Samson is not a poster child. He should not be in children's books. He's the first sex addict okay, that we know about. He was a bad man, um, but yet God uses him. God's Spirit, His Ruach comes upon him and, and uses him to do these things that need to be done. Um, a really, really awesome story is in, in uh, Numbers chapter 11. So write that down. Look up, read Numbers 11. Read the story of Moses. He needs help. He, all the people have all these issues, and he's trying to um, you know, help them out and tells God, God, I need help. God says, all right, bring 70 elders together. I'm going to pour out some of the spirit that I've given you. I'm going to pour out on them. And then all 70 have the spirit, and now they start prophesying. And yet two of them hang out back in camp. So 68 come to Moses when he calls them. But all 70 get the spirit, and all 70 are prophesying, and yet two of them remained in the camp. And so this little tattletale hears them and runs to Moses and says, hey, Moses, these two guys are puff saying. They're not doing it right. And Moses says, are you jealous for me? He says, I wish that all of God's people would have His Spirit. Again, another foreshadowing of, of what's to come. Uh, and then lastly, we see in the prophets, God, God coming upon them to, to convict and warn His people. So we learn several things about the Spirit that... Um, that you can be filled with the Spirit of life, but not be empowered by the Spirit of God. Okay? We also learn that a person who is empowered by the Spirit of God is, is truly living um, the life that God created them to live. Like there's this, like they're fully alive when God's Spirit is, is, is working and living and moving and empowering them. Okay, so that's the, the second one, empowering people for certain tasks. The third one is recreating the world and humanity itself. And this one we see more in the prophets proclaiming of the hope of the one to come that was going to bring this kind of hope. 
and, and, and prophesying to someday when the people of God will be able to remain faithful. A day when God's Spirit will dwell in them. So we see this in a few different things. You can write down uh, the, the, uh, Isaiah 11.1. 1. We don't have time to, to turn there. Isaiah 11, um, 1 through 11. Also write down Ezekiel 36 and 37. This was a big one. This, this was the, the story, if you remember, the Valley of the Dry Bones. When, when, when God takes um, Ezekiel to this valley of these, these bones, He says, this is Israel. You guys are dead. You're just a bunch of bones walking around. And he says, um, ask, ask for, the, the, um, for the Ruach to bring life. So all of a sudden these bones are shaken. They, flesh grows on them. They come, well, they rise up, but it says they don't have the breath of God in them. And he says, um, pray to the breath of God to breathe into them. And he does. And all of a sudden they have life. And, he's, and that's what he's describing. He's, he's giving them a picture of, of a day when God's Spirit will live and dwell in, in man, in my people, he says, and they will be able to follow me. I'll give them a new heart um, uh, and a new spirit. And they will be my people. Okay, so lots of interesting things in, in the Old Testament. And in the Gospels, here's what we see. This is going to go fast, by the way. We see similar in creation. So we see birth. We see the Spirit coming with, me, with Mary and the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus. Okay? So we see Him in, in this creation aspect. We see the Spirit um, appointing and empowering Jesus. So he, he commissions Jesus into the wilderness. It actually says He's full of the Holy Spirit when He enters into the desert. Um, we see the Spirit... Um, filling Jesus to preach the kingdom and to announce the gospel. And we also see Jesus in this new creation, right? He's, he's resurrected. He has this new body. Um, uh, Paul talks about Him in Romans 1. He says, Who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in the power, in power by His resurrection from the dead. So, Paul's saying, He, he has been resurrected from, from the dead by the Spirit. He is a new creation. He's, he's the only uh, walking person that we've seen, this new creation. Romans 8, 11, one of my favorite verses. And, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your, to your mortal bodies um, because of His Spirit who lives in you. And so we see in Jesus even, we see the Spirit coming upon Him or filling Him in His birth, His baptism, empowering Him. We see Him as a new creation in His resurrected body. And then in the church, we see the same pattern, creating the church. We see Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we see anointing and empowering leaders to, to lead the church. You see them in Acts, you see them witnessing for Jesus, preaching boldly. We see, them, we see the Spirit giving gifts to His church, spiritual gifts, um, to serve the church. We see Him raising up people to prepare people for ministry in Ephesians 4. Um, we see in, in all of Paul's letters, um, we see this aspect of renewing creation. Um, in fact, Paul talks about the Spirit 149 times in his, 13, in his 13 letters. He talks about it a lot. It's a big deal. Um, so, our text today, we see him setting 
us free to, to behold the glory of God that's transforming us into His image. It's a huge, huge idea. Later on in, in, cha- in chapter 5, we'll see um, this idea of if you, are a new, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 5, we see um, the Spirit of God birthing and, and uh, producing fruit in you to, um, to be like Jesus. So, the role of the Spirit, okay, and these three words I want, I want you to think about. The role of the Spirit in your life, okay, in our life, is to birth, to empower, and to renew. Okay? To birth, to empower, and to renew. So which of those do you need? Right? I, I want to remind you of who you are and what you have in Christ. So which of those do you need? Are you here tonight and maybe you haven't... Um, You've, you've played the game of church. You, you can't think back to a moment when you gave your life to Him. And maybe you need God to birth in you anew. Right? Born from above. So it says in John chapter 3. Or maybe, maybe you feel weak. Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you feel like you're trying to live this life on your own by your own strength and power. You're trying to fight sin by, you know, gripping the steering wheel and holding on, white-knuckling it. And, and maybe you need empowered to, to let go and to trust God to work in you. Maybe you need strength to, to overcome sin that you're wrestling with and struggling with and dealing and falling into. Like, He can do that. That's, he's, he, that's what He's about, is this ministry of empowering you to live the life that God's called you to live. Or maybe you need renewed. Maybe you don't, you've lost something. Maybe you feel blah. Um, if I had to pick one, this would be, this would be the one that I need, is, is a renewal. Um, especially after, I don't know about you, but after hectic times and, and times in my life when there's a lot going on, and I get to the end of those, I'm getting ready to leave for Mexico um, with London and eight, eight others from our church, Saturday morning for a week. And so just, I'm looking forward to being renewed in the Spirit. So what do you need? What do you need? Um, The Bible talks about your salvation as being both definitive and progressive. Like you being renewed in Christ, you being made new, you being uh, made holy. It says that you were sanctified in the past, like it was definitive. First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse eleven. It's definitive work of Christ in your life. The day your eternal zip code changed, the day you became a child of God, the day you became a follower of Jesus. But it also talks about in our verse is one of the main ones today. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen talks about this idea of progressive sanctification. That you're you're progressing. God is working in you. He is. He's not done with you. I hope that gives you patience with yourself. I hope that helps you see like it's not over. God is still at work. Can you trust Him with the work He's doing in you? There's always something bigger going on. I've heard this saying. I don't know if you've heard it. We've been given a million dollar salvation 
And we often live with a five-cent faith. And I think that's true. I know that's been true in my life. I, I've been blind and, and nearsighted, and, and I've forgotten you know, who I am and, and what I have in Christ. And, and I just need to be reminded. So what about you? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you have in Christ? And, and um, do, you need to, do you need a birth? Do you need to be renewed? Do you need to be empowered in Him? So we're going to spend the remaining time in worship tonight. Uh, and so there's a few guys who are going to come up here and get ready for that. As they do that, I'd love to just give you some time and space, maybe two or three minutes, and then uh, one of them will pray and, and launch into this. But uh, to think through that, what do you need from the Spirit tonight? What do you need from Him? Because He's a big deal, and He wants to point you to Jesus and to, and to His Word, to God's Word. He wants to change and transform your life if you let Him. So let me pray. I'll give you some time to pray. God, I ask that your Spirit would speak. God, it's amazing that we can ask for that and that we can have that. And so I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you with, with this time, giving this time to you. I pray that you would use it for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a couple minutes.